If uh, this is your first Sunday with us or your thousandth Sunday with us, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, glad that you can be a part of this gathering with us this morning. And uh, we hope that you just feel the love that is in this church. I, I pray you get to meet some people after everything is over today, after the service. And, you know, uh, I think it was back in and I had an opportunity. I started in the book of James, and uh, we've made it to James chapter 3 by this point, and over the next uh, couple weeks, the other elders are going to help me finish out this book. So by the middle of February, we'll be out of James. It's only taken like a year, but uh, it'll it'll be good to jump in and see where where we are with it today. This morning, as we're going to be continuing in this book, turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 3. And let me just recap a little bit of where we've been in James so far. James is ultimately concerned with the genuineness of our faith, with audience's faith. You know, he's written this letter to show us what a believer's life should look like. And when trials and temptation come, right, we talked about that in James 1. Remember, they're inevitable, but he intends trials and temptation to deepen our faith, right? How we respond to God's word what obedience looks like, uh, how we treat people with the same mercy that we've been shown, and what the outworking of our faith looks like in terms of works. That's where we were last time, right? The end of James uh, chapter 2, you know, concluding that our salvation is not dependent on works, but that once we are, works are a result of that. So now we chapter 3. And there, there seems to be this kind of drastic shift in what James is addressing. And it may seem a little unusual at first, this transition, but it's actually continuing to expand on the things that he's already said, right? Uh, that he's already touched on briefly. So remember chapter 1, 19. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to anger. Or verse 26 of James chapter 1, right? If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, His religion is useless. So as he does repeatedly, James expands a theme that he's already started in the book, that he's already introduced, and he really drives his point. Like today, we're going to see he drives his point home about our tongues. So before we jump into the text today, I want to ask everybody in the room this morning to participate in the message this morning. So lock the doors. Don't get up and go to the bathroom. Now, I want us all to participate, but it's not going to hurt. It's not going to be scary, right? Um, I want you all to join with me in reading what's on the screens right now that Brandon's going to bring up. All right, a tongue twister, right? It shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, I remember learning these as a kid and probably incessantly repeating them quickly to my parents, much to their dismay from the back seat, right? So let's see if we can all say this one together. She sells seashells by the seashore. Hey, that was good. Nice. Let's do it. Let's do another one, right? All right, Brandon. All right, this one's, yeah. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy Wuzzy wasn't fuzzy, was he? All right. So if, if some of the kids stayed in here that don't normally go to kids' church, they're like, what do they do in here? Like, this is awesome. I'm a you're welcome, parents. Uh, let's do one more. All right, this one's a little harder, right? 
You know New York, you need New York, you know you need unique New York. There we go. All right, anybody want to like come up and do that one times in a row as fast as you can up here? I knew my son would raise his hand. I thought so. It's all right. You for the ride home, buddy. We'll do it in the car. That's right. So why did I invite us all to participate in these tongue twisters, in this exercise together? I wanted to show us all that everyone in this room has at least one thing or say one muscle common. <laughs> or let me grab a mic, make sure we're going to keep going here. Is this one on? All right, even better. So one, one thing in common, right? We all have tongues with which to speak. Everyone in this room should have one. And that's important for us today because as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that none of us are immune from the application of this text today. The main ideas that we're going to find in these verses, verses 1 through 12, is that believers must control their speech because the tongue has influence on all aspects of life for good and bad. So I'll repeat that, and we can even put it on the screen. Believers must control their speech because the tongue has influence on all aspects of our life for good and bad. So there's application for all of us today. And in a way that makes me so fond of James because he appeals to that right side of my brain that I always live in that's visual and, uh, and story-driven, he's going to use pictures and analogies to show us how both our tongues can be both good and bad. Right? He's going to show the power of what we say and so, all right, let's go ahead and, and jump into this, right? And I have, to, I have to admit from the start that this is going to be a tough sermon. Like, this is a hard one to prepare for. This is one that is, like, as convicting to me as it should be to anyone else. Like, as I prayed about it and prepared for it and looked at just the things that I say to my family and to my coworkers and to my friends, I'm raising my hand today to admit, like, like what James says here, we all stumble in many ways, and I'm chief among them. So this one's going to be hard. Like, this one's going to grate against us a little bit, and I think James does that a lot. Like, every one of these sermons kind of grates on you a little bit, where it's like, oh, that, that kind of hurt. You know, but, but the conviction that we'll feel from this sermon isn't so that we can beat ourselves up or, you know, wallow in self-pity, but the conviction is yet another thermometer for us to see where we are in our walk with the Lord. That's how James intends it, right? James is essentially illustrating that our tongues can be a measure of where we are in our spiritual life. So let's all stand together and read God's word. And we're going to read these first 12 verses of chapter 3 of James. It says, So not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, 
setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Lord, we thank you that we can read your word and we can see how we're meant to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray you would just use this time now as we study it and we pray about it and we think about it, Lord, to convict our hearts and that they, we would follow through in action as we follow you and we give control of our lives and our tongues to your son. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can feel free to take a seat. So first, we see the power of the tongue to influence. Really, these first two verses, right? They seem shockingly out of the blue at first when we transition from chapter two, you know, and all of a sudden, like, why is he talking about teachers all of a sudden? Like, where'd that come from? Uh, like, like I said earlier and throughout this series, James often addresses issues he's seen firsthand in the church. And so this is one of those that he's seeing in this church that everyone is like, uh, hey, I'm eager to teach. I'm ready. You know, many are eager to teach because they want to show that they know something in front of people. Or many see the role of a teacher as one that's really like one of power, right? That's the role that I want, you may think. And he starts the introduction to this passage by warning us, not many of you should become teachers. Like, you don't have to say that twice to me. I'm married to a teacher, right? I know how hard she works. I know how hard teachers work. I know how undercompensated you are for how much time you put in. But, but here we're talking even more about spiritual teachers, teachers within the church. And so why, why teachers, right? They universally deal in words, you know, ideas, literature, history. These topics are transmitted in words. And so is the gospel. The gospel is transmitted and has been preserved for us in words, in the word of God, in the spoken word. So much so, even Jesus, the gospel incarnate, and he's known in John, right, as the word. He's called the word. So words given voice by the tongue have the power to influence. And because they do, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and accountability for those who teach in the church. So it's no wonder that like before I walk up here, uh, sitting on that row, my heart is racing <laughs> because the words I'm about to communicate, God's words, what I say in this moment will face strict judgment. Like that's what James says, right? It's the same for life group leaders. It's the same for teachers in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry. Anyone who teaches God's word will be held accountable for it. But you know, don't let that discourage you from being a teacher in children's ministry. Like, we, we need people volunteering back there in the nursery. We need people volunteering with the youth. We need people teaching life groups. But don't let yourself be lazy in preparation for those tasks. And don't approach teaching God's word flippantly. Don't wait till Saturday night to start your life group study lesson for your lesson that's in the next morning. If words have power to influence we need to measure and weigh them carefully. 
Jesus is pretty specific about this, right? Matthew 12, when he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, actually, this is Matthew 18, but I'm sorry. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Like, that's intense. Like, that's, <laughs> that's like Tony Soprano sounding stuff, right? Like, put a millstone around his neck, throw him in the... You know, Jesus isn't a member of the mafia, but he knows how costly it is to lead others into sin. Like, this is, this is significant. And so then in verse 2, what does James do? He may further makes the point that we all have something in common. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. This is another reason James gives us not to be anxious to be teachers. You, you influence through your words as a teacher, but your actions are also on display. And James knows that we are sinful and prone to wander. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says that something that should settle that for us, right? Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So there's your motivational thought for the day, right? Don't feel special <laughs> after reading that. We all have these tongues in common, and we all have in common an inability to be perfect. If anyone wants to be perfect, he has to do this, bridle his whole body. That's what James says. It's like, hey, wait, aren't we talking about tongues? Yes, we are. We just admitted that we all have in common stumbling in many ways, and what James is going to show here is that a person who can control his tongue gives evidence that he can control his whole body. What does Jesus have to say about that? He also says, I think this is the Matthew 12. I misprinted it in my notes. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So words often precede deeds. Think back to the fall in the early chapters of Genesis. The first sin was a sin of speech. Not only does Adam lie to God when when God questions him and says, you know, who told you you were naked? But it's the words of the serpent that deceived the woman. Did God really say, if you do this, then you'll be like him? Like, the rest is history after that. So there's, there's a truth here that we can apply not just to our spiritual lives, but our lives in general. Being careful in what you say is important for your whole body. You know, uh, I don't know if this happens to anybody else. If you, like, click on a video on, on Facebook in your feed and you're scrolling then like the next video auto populates like right after it. And, and then like before you know it, you've watched like 30 videos that are like 10 seconds or a minute long. And it's like, how did I get sucked into this? For me, it's always like, uh, like police chase videos that I end up seeing. And these videos of like guys saying stupid things as pranks and then getting beat up by other guys. And so that was the one that I was thinking of as an example here. Like you see this guy, like somebody's like candidly filming him from the, side and maybe there's another guy walking holding his girlfriend's hand and the guy walks up and says like something to the girlfriend you know and what happens to that guy he gets chased by the guy the girl's boyfriend and beat up you know it usually ends with that main character being affected in his body by the thing that he said with his mouth like getting beat up by this this guy that he went and talked to so we see James is going to continue to illustrate this for us First with two seemingly positive things, right, in verses 3 and 4. But don't despair. He'll get negative soon. So (laughs) wait for that. No, these next two verses, the power of the tongue to direct. He's going to use the analogy of a a bit and a rudder. So 
in, in these next two verses, three and four, we see how the tongue, this seemingly small thing, has great power to direct. You know, we live in Texas, so the illustration of a horse and a bit ought to be one that we're pretty familiar with. And if you're not, the stock show started this weekend, so head down to Will Rogers, you know, go see the rodeo, and you will see what can be accomplished by this tiny piece of metal in a horse's mouth, right? Suddenly, this 800-pound wild animal can be controlled by a 110-pound 15-year-old to race through barrels and do all sorts of things, walk backwards, I don't know, there's all sorts of names of the different walks and things you can do in the rodeo. That bit attached to the reins and put in a horse's mouth can control the entire animal. Where that little bit goes, so the whole 800-pound, 900-pound horse follows. And then James compares the tongue to a rudder, right? He says, look at the ships, large and driven by strong winds, but it's the small part of the ship that determines its direction, wherever the pilot directs. So I've never, I've never been on a cruise, I'll admit that to you. I've been on some big ferries and that kind of stuff, but I've seen those ships docked in port, and you realize they're enormous. I mean, hundreds and I don't know, probably thousands of people can fit on those giant cruise ships. But that rudder, this small piece, seems so insignificant, right? But it plays a vital role in the direction of where that ship goes. You know, if you want to get sucked into another hole, like I was talking about that Facebook video hole, just Google, like, how does a rudder work? And if you're, like, really into, like, analytical things and physics and all that, you'll, you'll have a fascinating time there. Um, I, I got sucked into it, looking at it for this. But the, these two small analogies exercise great power. But his analogies of the bit and rudder have two other things in common that we see. The bit and the rudder must overcome opposing forces. And they must be controlled by someone. The bit overcomes the opposing force of the wild horse, right? Enabling whoever's riding it to do great things with that horse. The the West would not have been one without horses to do an incredible amount of work or to carry people, you know, across this country. In the same way, the, the rudder overcomes the opposing forces of wind and current, and it steers the ship. The rudders actually operate by deflecting water flow. I'm getting into some nerd talk here, right? The water strikes with increased force on one side, and it deflects creating less pressure on the opposite side, essentially what what turns the ship. It steers in the direction where the force is decreased, all right? There's probably an equation in there that like Paul Wynn or somebody could figure out for me, but we won't put that on the screens. So the other thing they have in common is what? That they must be controlled by someone. The cowboy leads the horse. The, The captain navigates the ship. When our tongues and our lives are controlled by Jesus, we don't have to fear saying things that are wrong. As teachers, we don't have to fear saying the right things in the wrong way. When our, when our tongues are controlled and our lives are controlled by Jesus, we don't have to fear saying things that are wrong. So then he transitions from sort of the positives of the tongue. It, they, it directs um, to the power of the tongue to destroy. This is where it takes a turn for the, the darker side, right? You know, and, and we're going to see these two examples of fire and animals again. So 
Anyone remember the song, Pass It On, from the Baptist hymnal? Yeah, all right, Dave, we got one, yes. When I was, when I was a kid growing up in Alaska, we had Sunday night sing-alongs, and everybody got to, like, shout out, you know, like, hymn 542, you know, that's the one I want. And it was the youth always wanted Pass It On at my dad's church. And, you know, it's, I think it was because of the way it starts. It starts with, like, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And then it goes from there. You don't want to hear me sing the rest of it, right? I'll spare you from that. But I, this is where we're kind of headed in verse 5, right? The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, we have seen this this last year as we've seen wildfires ravaging the state of California. Like, the names of those fires, if we've paid attention to the news at all, are kind of etched in our collective consciousness. The campfire and the Woolsey fire, you know, they destroyed hundreds of thousands of acres, thousands of structures and homes. They displaced families. They've affected them. People have lost their lives as a result of those fires. That, that campfire, they said, moved so rapidly at one point that it was covering the span of 10 football fields in a minute. Like, just how devastating and fast it was. People didn't have time to react. It was moving so quickly. And it, it began with something small. As, we, as you look at the fires that have affected our nation, burned down acres and forests, they often are caused or started by something small and careless, like a cigarette butt tossed out the window or a small ember of charcoal caught on the wind. And James, he says, our tongues have the same ability to cause devastation, like to destroy, to wreak havoc on lives, not just our own, but on the lives of others as well. And something you saw if you watch those news stories about the fires in California, they were, they were unpredictable. Our words often are unpredictable too. They have this, this power to destroy and move in ways that we might never have imagined that they would. So in verse six here, he continues by saying that tongue is a fire, and then he goes a step further, right? A world of unrighteousness. It's set among our members, staining the whole body. This is, this is doubly concerning for us, church, because the body the tongue is in, that's what he's talking about, but the body of Christ also is affected as well. Like, the body of Christ is affected by all the tongues that are in it. So like wildfire, our speech our gossip, it can travel quickly and reach a furious blaze in someone's life. James says it sets on fire the entire course of life. And so I bet in a room this size, there might be someone in here who knows exactly what that means. Like it sets on fire the entire course of life. Has your life taken a direction or a course that you never expected it to because of something you said? Or it might have been a bunch of somethings you said over the course of a many years that resulted in a, in a broken relationship. It may have been a hurtful comment that someone overheard and it scorched them for years, affecting their choices as well as your own. Or it may be what I'm guilty of. As a preteen, when my mom, I would always have this brilliant retort to anything she said. And I would just like wait to like kind of lob it in there like a grenade. Like, oh man, this is going to land so good. And you know, I would always have that one thing to say that was just a little bit of a twist of the knife. 
right? And needless to say, I sucked on a lot of bars of soap as a kid. Like that was just <laughs> my, my growing up. So James then progresses from this, this small member, your tongue, which is a small fire that gives way to a great fire, stains everything, your body, the entire course of your life, and is set on fire by hell. And there's a, there's a warning in here for us and the care with which we use our tongues in our daily life, but also in this gathering with these people that we're with today. One small fire, one careless tongue could set a blaze in this place that will cause significant devastation. It can stain the whole body. This, everyone gathered in this congregation, every member of this church, if just one small fire is set by a careless tongue. So then he shifts what? From the analogy of fire to that of a dangerous animal full of deadly poison. You know, we're familiar with those uh, in Texas. Rattlesnakes, water moccasins, cottonmouth snakes. <laughs> you know, it's wild and unruly, he says. The tongue is wild and unruly like the animals we have throughout this world. In verse 7, he lists those. Like He says, every animal, bird, reptile, and fish, which is the same structure from the creation account given in Genesis. So we've been given dominion over all the animals of the earth. And James says, hey, we've done a pretty good job of taming them, right? Like, hey, there's another positive. Like, we've taught bears to ride bicycles, and we've taught lizards to sell insurance. Like, the, the classic picture of a lion tamer at a circus comes to mind here. You know, we've tamed and controlled these ferocious animals, but James says, no one can control the tongue. No one can tame it. That's the, that's the bad news. Right? The, the tongue cannot be tamed or controlled in our own power. And it's, he goes on further. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. We've got these, you know, sayings that we're all familiar with as kids to kind of downplay the significance of words, you know. But the fact is that we have these, it says that words have great power. You know, what are they? Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me or I am rubber and you are glue. What you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. You know, James says, that's not true. He says, he says, false, right? They carry the power to destroy and to devastate. And just in case you're wondering, we can't control them. So he's going to turn then from these two analogies to two final analogies in verses 9 through 12. The, the spring and the tree. And we'll see in it the power of the tongue to delight. In verse 9, he's quick to point out another of the benefits of our tongues, right? With it, we bless our Lord and Father. This morning, as the worship team led us, we lifted up songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, as we should. Like, we were made for this. And so James is going to bring up this spring of water and this tree in these final verses, and that should bring to mind what we know about a spring of water and a tree. Like, if you've ever been hiking and come across like a fresh mountain spring, you know the refreshing water that comes out of that rock or that hole in a rock or that whatever. You know, water refreshes and it's life-giving. It cleanses. We know that, that, you know, human beings can only live for a certain number of days without water. Like it's a vital part of our lives. So the tongue also delights because it's like a tree, he says. Trees they provide shade, they provide fruit and sustenance, and they provide structure to the landscape. You know, like the, the dirt's not blowing away because those trees are helping keep, keep it in place. They provide a great place to hang a hammock and relax. Like, 
here at the end of this passage today, James will use the illustration of a tree to show us that a tree cannot grow fruit that isn't a part of what makes it that tree. That's going to be important for us to notice. What our hearts are rooted in will overflow from our tongues. And even James is going to use these illustrations to show both the good and the bad of our tongues. And he's going to highlight in verses 9 and 10 the fact that our tongues are shouldn't be so dichotomous. They shouldn't be so double-minded. They shouldn't say one thing and then another that are totally opposite. It's what he's been building up to, that our tongues say something like, blessing our Lord and Father. And then he says, at the same time, we turn around and curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's this double-natured thing. You know, this is the, the Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. Like, which one is it? Uh, he's already spoken in chapter two about how we treat people in the church. He says, you know, show no partiality, no favoritism, show mercy, put your faith into action. And we're often quick to, quickest, it seems, to say something negative to someone rather than to give them praise. Why, why is that? I mean, I love that James kind of says, I wish there was like a bunch of exclamation points when he says, brothers, it ought not to be so. It shouldn't be like this, right? He continues out of, Verse 10, out of that same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And then he says that it shouldn't be like this, brothers. And he's going to illustrate yet again these two examples that are kind of like shows how ludicrous it is that our tongues are so double-minded that they say these opposite things. In verse 11, the question is asked, can a spring pour forth both fresh and salt water? And, you know, James asks these rhetorical questions that he knows the answer, the only answer is no. And so, no, it's not possible. It takes away the refreshing nature of that water if it's combined with salt. And it only even takes a little bit of salt to make refreshing, clean, fresh water taste terrible, you know, and remove all benefit from it. It seems familiar, right? Just like what James said a minute ago, that the tongue is set among the members staining the body, so a little bit of salt and some fresh water affects it all. And then he kind of wraps up this, this whole line of thought in verse 12 with this question about trees bearing fruit that they are not supposed to. He says, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine that's supposed to produce grapes grow figs? This is where, like, if James were writing this on Facebook or on the internet, we could drop the animated GIF, you know, that just says, nope. Like, this, this is the perfect place for that. You know, it doesn't take a scientist or an advanced degree for us to know that an orange tree doesn't produce apples, right? And we ought to know that Our tongues, especially as believers, should not be the opposite of what they were intended for. In the same way that no tree produces fruit that doesn't belong to it, and just as no water can transform itself into another kind of water, so our tongues, these natural conduits of evil since the fall, cannot produce good on their own. So what's the takeaway from this for us today? Do we do what uh, Ralphie's friend in the Christmas story does after he's triple dog dared, you know, like lick the flagpole and just say, hey, we got our tongue stuck. We can't talk anymore. This is perfect. You know, I think there are a number of takeaways from this for us today. I'll go through them quickly, right? The main idea that I started this with was believers must control their speech because the tongue has influence on all aspects of life. James is concerned that those who he's writing to are maturing, genuine believers. And if we are maturing, genuine believers, 
we should increasingly have constructive things to say, not destructive ones. We have to remember that the problem is not necessarily the tongue either, but that it's the heart. There are dozens of places I could turn to in Scripture this morning to point this out. But Jesus' words in Matthew 15, 18 really sum it up. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So how do, we, how do we get a heart that's focused on the right things? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to Ezekiel 36, or you can just look at it on your screens because it's hard to find Ezekiel sometimes. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 37 puts it this way. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's the key. James has made the point that we cannot do it on our own. Scripture has made the point that we cannot do it on our own. But when his spirit is within us, he will cause us to walk right. So we see. He will give us a heart of flesh, Ezekiel says, where there was a heart of stone. He will teach us how to walk and how to talk. As we spend time in his word, rooted in it, it will produce fruit in our lives and in our speech. And I don't want to keep throwing scripture out, but it's a good thing to do in church, right? First John chapter one says in verses seven and nine, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. So we don't have to, and we can't do it on our own, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is James chapter three, verse two, right? For we all stumble in many ways. But then here here comes the good news in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, that's the good news right there. So don't despair as you walk out of here today. God has made a way for us to be cleansed from all sin and from the things that we have said that are hurtful and destructive and that don't build up. And there's great hope that even... When the fire set by your tongue has been extinguished, there's grace to cover it all. So fill your hearts with God's word and allow him to direct your tongue so that it will bring delight to him and it will direct others in the way of life and it will encourage them in the trials of life. So as the band comes up now and closes us in a worship song or two, finally, let me say, use your tongue to restore relationships. Some of the hardest words that you may ever say are, I'm sorry, or forgive me, or have you experienced a change in the course of your life over the time that you've been alive when something has changed because of something you said? Are there things you've said to someone, maybe even someone in this room, that you need to go to them and ask for their forgiveness? Jesus implores us to do it. In Matthew 5, 23, he says, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So we're gonna have a moment here as we worship where you can come to this altar and some of our elders will be up here ready to pray with you or talk with you if the spirit has convicted today. But a response might look different as well. It might mean you walk from this side of the room to this side of the room, 
to find that person that you said something to or about and tell them you're sorry. It may be that you turn to the person sitting next to you, your spouse or your mom or your child, and you say, I'm so sorry, please forgive me for these things that I've said. You may have never given your life to Christ today. And you may decide that you want to come before the Lord and do the same thing that I just mentioned. Say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I know I've broken your heart, but I know you can restore it. This is a time for us now to respond. And I'll leave you with this final verse from Proverbs 18, verse 21, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In this time of response, you might choose one or the other, right? You might choose death in choosing to stay silent, or you may choose life in reconciling a relationship. But that verse says too, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And the second part says, those who love it will eat its fruits. The fruit of a tongue that speaks death is death. The fruit of a tongue that speaks life is life. So as we sing now and we pray, I would say, ask, which fruit do you want to eat of today?